Welcome back to the podcast and part three in our Pastor John and Janet Coleman series. Parts one and two covered really the start of the revival movement here in Australia. And we left off part two with the great revival that happened in the late 1970s due to the counterculture revolution that was happening at the time. If you haven't listened to parts one and two, then hit the pause button, go back and have a listen, and then jump onto this great episode, number three. Enjoy. So, purchased the Vogue, it's mid-70s? Yeah, 76. And so there was obviously a lot of revival happening at that point in time. Um, yes. Is that, a, is that a fair assessment? That's right. Yeah. Well... What really happened, while we were still in Elizabeth East, uh, we were getting a lot of contacts down in Adelaide and further south. We'd had a lot of revival already amongst the surfing community around Seaford and so on. But when we, uh, when God provided us with the, the bug, which was quite amazing how that all came mm. together for us coming from Elizabeth East, which was not the top of the social scale as far as Adelaide suburbs were concerned, to Kingswood, which mm. was up there. Mm. That was quite amazing and I think quite distressing for some of the people in the neighbourhood to find the <laughs> Elizabethans coming down to invade Adelaide. But because we're in a central location, there were people who came along who had uh, not wanted to go all the way out to Elizabeth. Mm. So more of the surfy types and uh, people from around Glenelg and all those sort of places that uh, started to come in, including uh, the Rogers family. Um, and uh, uh, Tim is one of our, our pastors now. And so... And he's up in... He's, he's in uh, Wollongong. Yeah, East Coast, yeah. 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 So <clears throat> there, was, there was lots of that happening, but also about that time, Pastor Darrell Williams had moved, must have been just after we came to the Vogue, I think he moved to Dubbo, and he uh, had quite a revival there. And there was uh, a, a girl in the fellowship, and you know, there was some of these uh, druggy types were... Yeah pretty wild and they didn't worry much about uh, things and um, she uh, she picked up this young man who was hitchhiking which normally you don't expect young ladies to pick up young men and she uh, brought him to Pastor Darrell in Dubbo and he uh, said well take him around to the boys house so this lad came to the Lord and he was a heroin addict uh, Kim, I think his name was. And so he only just got baptised and spirit-filled and he decided to come back to Adelaide that he'd come from originally. And he went out hitchhiking. And there was uh, a chap by the name of Rod Connock who uh, picked him up. And Rod's still in our fellowship now. But uh, Rod um, uh, offered him a joint when he got in the car and Kim said... I don't do it anymore, he said. I used to, but uh, I came to the Lord. So this brought Rod to the Lord. They came back and Kim went around and spoke to a lot of people that he knew. And a lot of those people actually came to the Lord, even though, as far as I know, Kim didn't really go on with his walk in the Lord himself. There was a lot of people who did. 
Um, and the chain included people like uh, Pastor Steve Harvey, okay. uh, who came sort of indirectly as a result of him, uh, Ben Robinson and uh, a chap called Mick Wordley who brought a lot of people along. Uh, there was another girl called Vicky uh, Angrave who's now married to David Hillier and this really was a real snowball effect and we were in the Vogue Theatre by this time and I can remember having a follow-up meeting in the downstairs foyer and uh, there was a lot of new people and if I remember rightly there was about 17 new people there that had come to the Lord in recent times and they were nearly all, uh, well, brand new converts. Mm. I remember our daughter, who was only about 15 at the time, she was there and she was the only uh, person there that was uh, been brought up in the fellowship. All the rest of them were wow. fairly raw converts. So <clears throat> that started a big revival and most of our revival for one period there was um, was amongst uh, young people mm. and a lot of them finished up finding a partner and they got married and uh, some of them are now grandparents in the fellowship. And pastors even. That's right. It's interesting, I mean, I was a little kid at that stage uh, yes. and, and so I was sort of around at that time but I don't remember, you know, what people like Pastor Steve were like mm. as they came to the Lord and people who see him now... Yes. Because of his safe, vastly he different, <laughs> you know, people looking at them now would say, "Oh, well, he's a you know a pastor, and you know, yes. uh, you know, they, they are of a certain type." Right? But I, they probably yeah. can't even imagine. No, what well, he must have been like. the story was that somebody, uh, I think, a couple of our brothers went to a place where he was. With there was a lot of them in sort of commune type living, and uh, he. Um, uh, he sat there in the background and listened while the others were being witnessed to and he was very interested because he'd been brought up to go to the, to the Anglican church and he knew there was nothing there. Mm. He used to sing in their choir because he can sing a bit and um, he heard all of this and he decided to come to a meeting and I can recall that first meeting that he came to. He came out the front, I actually prayed for him and he received the Holy Spirit. Now he's here... Um, it's uh, very red and it was very curly and it was very long and it was really lying down on his shoulders and so on. And, uh, and I prayed for him and he received the Holy Spirit and he got baptised. And I think it was a midweek meeting and the next meeting I came to, I thought we had a new person there, but it was Steve with his hair cut. <laughs> he just... He was a new person. He was a new person, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Was, yeah, changed yeah. from the inside out. Yeah. And fortunately, he was just one of those people who saw it straight away mm. and he said, right, I've got a new chance here. And he was a drug addict. Mm. He was... Uh, he worked in the printing industry, done his apprenticeship there and... Uh, he was about to lose his job because he was so unreliable right. and didn't turn up for work and so on. I think the boss was going to sack him. Um, and then uh, he was sort of getting around to it. And the next thing, uh, next time he misses off, uh, you know, takes a day off without permission, he's out the door. Wow. Well, he's, he's still there. Yeah. Maybe not the same firm. But that was a big change in his life. And, uh, and a lot of others uh, like him that, uh, that came to the Lord. Mm. 
must have been a pretty amazing time for you yes. to be a part of. Part of it, um, yes. And uh, such a real change in culture and society at the time, which obviously... Well, one of the amazing things about it was that uh, culturally we'd come from a different world. Mm. Yes. And yeah, of course, I mean, both of you, yeah. That's right. And uh, uh, there was one fellow, Ozzy, uh, he came along and he was such a hippie that... We almost needed an interpreter <laughs> because I'd be talking Bible terms and he'd be using hippie terms. But we we had a common interest. He wanted to know the truth and I wanted to tell him the truth. Mm. So we finished up being quite close. Mm. And uh, I remember when, uh, when he got married, he'd been living with this lady for some time and... Um, it must have been even before we came to the Vogue. Got married, married at our place in uh, Elizabeth. House of Elizabeth, just before we came to the Vogue. But that was just part of a big group of people. Then there was the um, Mitcham Village group that came along and uh, there was a dear old sister that uh, in our fellowship, uh, she, um, uh, she owned some houses there, uh, the Tilly family. Uh, they owned quite a bit of land up the... The uh, Brown Hill Creek way, uh, Brown yeah. Hill Creek, yeah. and uh, she had these houses, and there was different ones that lived there, and a lot of those people came to the Lord, mm. and huge changes in people's lives, and to see people that were drug addicts immediately delivered from their addiction. This Vicky that I mentioned before, she was a nurse, and she was addicted to heroin, but she was also helping herself to. Uh, drugs at the hospital, which is a very dangerous thing for her and, and the patients and so on. But she came to the Lord and was just totally uh, set free from her addiction. And it was her testimony that Ben talks about uh, yep. that brought him to the Lord. And Ben's on an earlier episode yes. uh, of the podcast where he talks about that. That's right. One yep. of the things that when you look at our fellowship today and you, you know, go to a centre where there's you know, a few hundred people, if you understand and look at the backgrounds of all of the people that are there, yes. I can't imagine another place that you can find people with such diverse backgrounds, yes. whether they're cultural backgrounds, philosophical backgrounds, they're, you know, you've got people who've been in prison, who've had yes. heroin lifestyles, who've grown up in churches, who, That's you know, right. these vast different people, but they're all there communing together with God uh, in such a wonderful environment, all bonded by the Holy Spirit yes. and just all getting along so well. It's just, yes. it, it just doesn't happen in other That's what the Bible calls amazing. the unity of the Spirit. spirit. Yeah. 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 In the bond of peace. Yeah. Yeah, praise the Lord. Yeah. I remember a young brother who came uh, came to the Lord a couple of years ago, and uh, and he'd see you know pastors on the stage or or the guys on the stage you know who are getting up and giving talks, and he would often say to me, he said, "Oh, but Ben, they don't understand me, or they don't understand what I've come through because I've you know had this tough background, or I've come from you know a life of drugs and despair." And I go, but you know that pastor up there had exactly the same scenario. So let's go and talk to him about his background. Or you know that guy, Ben, you know, who's given a talk this afternoon? Yes. His background was just as bad as yours. Yes. And that vast difference between this new guy that was just starting to come along and these people that, you know, had been filled with the Spirit and let God change their lives. Um, yes. Just yeah. 
so dramatically. At one stage, we had a, a senior police officer. He was very high up in the South Australian police force. And he came, I think, to the play and he had a couple of people giving their uh, testimony. Mm. And he said, I spent my life trying to lock up people <laughs> like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and he came to the Lord himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah so. imagine. And so, so now we've got, I think you said that there was a hall purchased at Elizabeth again later on? Yes, in, uh, we got the Vogue in 1976 and we had such a huge revival that we used to look at how many people were taking communion. There was more than that because not everyone got there at once. We had about 300 people uh, at a communion service at Elizabeth and we'd packed out the hall we had there. And in five years, it had grown to 800. Mm. And the, the Vogue Theatre was absolutely packed out. So well, what are we going to do? And so we decided to look at getting a, a meeting at Elizabeth and we managed to buy... That was quite miraculous, really, when you talk about how God provides for his people. And the economy was down, and particularly in Elizabeth. And the Anglican Church were selling off a number of their properties. I don't think they needed many. Uh, most people had woken up to the Church of England, but they hadn't, didn't have much to offer. And they had a place at Elizabeth Vale, which was on a nice piece of land and it had an acre of ground and uh, it had a, a hall on it, their church, and we managed to buy this and we got it, I think, for $50,000, which was, the, the land alone was worth that and so we had a, a building there and we built a, a Sunday school alongside and uh, we started that up and we were having revival there. I remember the first day we went up to Elizabeth for the first meeting and I rang up the Vogue and I said, oh, and Pastor Steve answered the phone, cheeky fellow, and uh, and I said, oh, you know, just ring up to let you know that we had a baptism at Elizabeth. He said, oh, that's interesting, we just had seven at the Vogue. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, um, and, and so it just continued to grow at both places and the Vogue um, over uh, the next uh, the next few years uh, grew, and the 200 people that had gone to Elizabeth, we were filling that space, space. up. So yeah. we started having meetings down south yeah. uh, to the Moana Primary School, and we were having revival at all our three mm. centres mm. then, uh, and so it um, just continued to grow. And eventually we build a hall down at that Woodcroft That's um, right. to take yeah. over that. And yeah. Now we've got these three great centres. In fact, fourth, when That's you right. include Gawler, yes. uh, that covers right. the, yeah. the, Adelaide, uh, the Adelaide area. Not to mention the camp. Of yes. course, the camp. Yes, or well, the camp. OK. Do you want to get on to that? Let's talk about the camp because okay. that is, you know, for, for a young, you know, young youngster that, you know, grew up down at that camp. Yes. Uh, I go down there today and just realise what, what an amazing well, blessing it is for us to spend time down there. There was a pastor that used to come across from Victoria and he used to talk about the Adelaide secret weapon <laughs> called Karakalinga. And it was, uh, well, what had happened going back a few years, uh, the Canberra Assembly had been having uh, Easter camps at a place called Sturt Creek up on the Murrumbidgee, Sturt Island I think it was called, 
and I'd never been to it, but I'd heard about it. So we decided that we would hire a, a, a camp at Clarendon and we were having Easter camps there, which people loved. And we started also having uh, uh, Christmas camps at uh, Victor Harbour yeah, Victor. in the Valley yeah. uh, Caravan Park there and, you know, taking a tent down and all that sort of thing. You had meetings in a hall. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And um, But one day at the Clarendon Easter camp, uh, on the Monday we were cleaning up and I walked in, the men were in there um, doing a final clean-up of the ablution block and they were tradesmen. And they, uh, and I remember David Patterson and Brian Allen were amongst them and uh, one was a plumber and the other was a ceramic tiler and... Uh, forget who the other two were, but they said, oh, we've been talking, as people do, and they said, uh, let's get our own camp. And I said, well, what are we going to do for money? And they said, oh, that's your job to organise that. <laughs> but you you find the camp and we'll do the work. So I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> I kept them to it. 40-odd years later, they're we still at it. We used to spend our Saturdays <clears throat> going around looking for some land. That's with right. With the kids, yeah, yeah. 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 So we started looking and uh, eventually we found this place. I went to Victor Harbour and uh, I said to the young real estate fellow there, I said, look, we're looking for a campsite. I know just the place for you, he said. And I where's that? He said, oh, it's at Karakalinga. And he thought of it because he knew this land, the Fork Tree Station, which had been, you know, I think 2,000 acres or something or other had been subdivided into 80-acre allotments. And the one that we now have was, for various reasons, was a bit smaller than that. It was about 50 acres. But it was right on the Karakalinga Creek. And he knew that there were people that used to come there and have a bush camp at this spot uh, with the consent of the owner. And so when it sort of camped, well, oh, that, you could camp there. So we went down and had a look at it and fell in love with the place. But there was a problem. They wanted money for it. So we uh, decided to take the... Uh, arranged with the agent, we would go and have a look. And we used to have our meetings at Elizabeth in the afternoon and evening, 3 o'clock. So we got up early and I took a carload down. There were six of us went down... And uh, we uh, we had various tradesmen, and we had uh, Dean Clee, who was an accountant, um, and we uh, had a look at this place. And of course, it was just ideal. So we went across to Victor Harbour, and we said we'd like to put in an offer on it. As it so happened that the this was the first sale of this whole subdivision, they were very keen to get a sale. So we made an offer on it, and they wanted. Uh, uh, they wanted $33,000, I think it was. So would you accept $30,000? Uh, oh, maybe I can put it to you. And they said, but we need 10% deposit. Now, I knew we didn't have that much in the bank. I said, what about 5%? Oh, that's a bit irregular, but I'll put it to the vendor. So they put it to them and they accepted. But then we had to raise the finance, and it happened that... There was a brother who'd sold a business and he had some money and he was prepared to lend it to us. 
because in those days the bank would not lend you uh, money on bare land. No. You had to have a building on it. So we then uh, decided that we would uh, go ahead. We were able to purchase it with money borrowed from this brother and we set about to build the ablution block. And for those that don't know what an ablution block <coughs> is... It's a toilet block. A toilet with block. With some showers. In it. Yeah, that's right. Showers. I was explaining to someone the other day that I'd gone down to a camp to do a bit of a, yeah, some work on the ablution block. And he said, what's an ablution block? <laughs> I said, well, it's got water in it. I could explain like to you what ablutions were, but maybe I'll, maybe I'll just tell you it's a toilet and a shower block. Yes, OK. So uh, that's, that's what we got. And, of course, that was a building. Mm. So then our bank was prepared to lend right. us the money and we were able to pay the brother yeah, okay. back. So that was the start of it uh, at, uh, at Karakalinga and that was before we got the Vogue. That was uh, uh, late 74 when we got onto that and during 1975 we had working bees and practically every Saturday I would go down from Elizabeth. We had a big old trailer which uh, Pastor Jock had got made up for us to have for outreaches but it was very handy for mm. carting materials down. I'd spend... Uh, Friday getting the material together and on Saturday morning there was nowhere to stay down there mm. uh, so Saturday morning get up at, at, at daybreak uh, grab a team of guys we'd all go down there It's a fair old drive, it'd be a couple, good couple of hours wouldn't couple it from Elizabeth? Yeah. From Elizabeth. Yeah. Yeah, so. And of course I had a, a young son um, and he was uh, he would have been about 10 years old and he used to come down too and of course playing in the creek and so on. But um, whereas a lot of people found it hard to find things to do with their son when they're busy, mm. I didn't find it hard. Mm. And he'd come home uh, uh, filthy from playing in the creek, but happy 100%. What yeah. boys should do at that That's age, right. absolutely. And the early stages of the camp was built entirely by voluntary labour. Mm. And we uh, put up the ablution block, <laughs> the shower block and uh, and everything. But it was also rather interesting because when we first came across this place, uh, we had to go to the council to get their permission to, to do it and they gave us permission. And so we immediately put in plans uh, to put on the ablution block and straight after Christmas we'd had them approved and we set to work and we... Uh, had uh, uh, several truckloads of concrete come in to put down the foundations. And um, when the neighbours saw all this happening, what's going on? So they um, found out what we were up to. They went to the council. They objected to what we were doing, but the council had already approved it. Mm. And I can remember being in the council office with the town clerk and the chairman of the council... And they said, oh, would you stop your building because people aren't happy with it? And I said, but the, the bricks are on their way down. I said, they could come past the council office here any minute now. And they persuaded me to ring up Borel and uh, say, could you just hold the, 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 the bricks until later? later? So I said, OK, we'll, we'll, we've got them to hold it. I went to the... The local member of parliament and Elizabeth, uh, who helped us before, uh, about a few things, and um, 
He said, my advice to you is to get those bricks in there as soon as you can <laughs> because the further you get with it, the more difficult it will be for the council to stop you. Yeah, right. So I'd promised I wouldn't bring truckloads down there, but I didn't promise that we wouldn't bring them in by trailer <laughs> from the other way. <laughs> from, the, from the other entrance, yeah, yeah, not so, through the council town. Not that's right, the... <laughs> yeah. So we had them uh, deposited at Brother's Place at Port Nalunga and we came with a string of trailers and carted the bricks down to there and so I sort of kept my promise there. <laughs> and, uh, and, of course, we, we got it up and then we had huge opposition. They, they really went to work honestly they contacted government people mm. um minister of local government uh, the um, health department the premier's office and all this sort of thing and that's when i thought now they're they're going to all of these people we're in a labor stronghold it was a labor government so i went to the local member who was the lawyer mm. and uh, <clears throat> anyway he um he rang up his uh, colleague in the health department and so on. But more than that, they decided to get the local member of parliament who happened to be on the other side of politics. Cha yeah, what was his name? Ted Chapman. His daughter is now deputy premier. Mm. Uh, and uh, he was invited to a meeting and there had been a, uh, a meeting of them there and we even came on television where the, I think Channel 7 or Channel 10, I forget which one it was, came down and, um, and, and saw what we were doing and they recorded this meeting and the headlines in the news that night was that local residents in Karakalinga band together to form Progress Association to stop progress. <laughs> <laughs> so we realised that we had the TV people on our side. Yeah. And we were in the same, same camp with the council who were sort of annoyed that they got themselves into this position yeah. because they had legally agreed for us to do it. Yeah. Uh, but Ted Chapman went to this meeting. Wasn't it a protest meeting of the local That's people? right, yeah, yeah, yeah and that, that lived there. But, of course, uh, they were wealthy people, judges and lawyers and surgeons and all sorts of people, and Ted was a shearer, and so he didn't have a lot of time for these sort of uh, <laughs> yeah. high flyers. So in the report that he made, which was scathing in his criticism of them, he kept referring to them as the Shack Owners Committee. And for those that don't understand, so Karakaling is about an hour or so south of Adelaide. That's it's a right. little seaside community That's right. uh, with lots of fancy houses for people That's right. and that was their yeah. sort of weekend residence. That's right. Um, That's right. The Shack Owners. They <laughs> 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 would have been terribly offended at that. That's right. And uh, so... Uh, he, um, he really uh, came out on, on our side. And uh, so, anyway, we, we finished up being able to go ahead and then we built an ablution block. Uh, it, during that year, 1975, we um, built the uh, ablution block, we put up a shed, uh, we put in some uh, gravel roads, we laid out the electricity, um, the electricity people were very good to us. They uh, came in and uh, put the, the supply in and, and it was a lot cheaper to get it those days than it is now. 
And uh, so it just grew from there. It did, yeah. The interesting thing about that whole protest is that you can't even see it from the road, yes, right? Yeah. There's a little road that drives into it and then it opens up into this great property. So there's no visible impact on the local residents. Yes. Really the only impact is a positive one on the local community when, you know... 2000 was conversion at Christmas time down well, the the, on the local office. shop people, etc. So it is uh, fascinating that uh, such opposition. One thing, of course, we're quite evangelical, and when we take some people down to the beach to baptise them, it gathers a crowd. It does. And some of the uh, elite of the society are having to sit there and watch from their balconies while we're happily singing choruses on the beach. Mm. But they need saving too. Exactly, they do. Interestingly, one of the couples that uh, were down there, uh, I think they were actually living there, <coughs> and they were ones that were objecting to it. And at the time, being quite uh, magnanimous as I am, I um, said, well, look, the Bible says return good for evil, so we will we'll return them a favour, we'll convert their kids. And uh, <clears throat> lo and behold, uh, shortly after this, there was a, a, a young couple who'd been living together came to the Lord. And she was the daughter of one of these couples that lived down there. Yeah, right. And I think it was the first marriage I performed at the Vogue Theatre. Yeah, OK. Um, and uh, but anyway, they've forgiven us, I think, because the daughter's done well. And it's been, I mean, such a wonderful blessing. So many amazing camps yeah, from people. kids to teens to young, yeah, yeah, youngies camps to over 50s camps to Christmas and Easter's and Zones, etc. It's so well used. And so yeah. many people have come to the Lord there. That's yes. right. Have been baptised there, have been filled with the Spirit there. Yes. In fact, I think your son-in-law, the testimony of that camp was very mm. powerful for him. Yes. in terms of him coming to the Lord. So it is just such a delightful place and such a wonderful blessing for our yes. fellowship. Have you got his...? Uh... Yeah, he was he was earlier on in the okay. series. So, yeah, yes. he's uh, he's told his story to us before, which is great. So for those that are listening that haven't heard his story, go back and listen to, to Pastor Chris's story about how he uh, his life was transformed. I think my headline title for it is Transformed from Druggie to Pastor. Yes, <laughs> OK. Yes. That's um, right. So... We spent a fair bit of time talking about the foundation of the Adelaide Fellowship. Um, but out, out of the Adelaide Fellowship came you know, a lot of other fellowships across the world. And you've been involved both, you know, for people going from here to overseas. Yes. Um, but also, I uh, wouldn't mind talking a little bit about... Uh, your brother from another mother, um, yes. Pastor Godfrey, and about yes. uh, yeah. about your perspective on PNG. Yes. Um, it'd be great to talk about that too. So, yeah. um, but there's been a lot of expansion overseas from uh, yes. that have, that sort of come out of people from Adelaide. I think hasn't about they? Peter Visser in yes. Europe. Yeah, yeah. Then yeah. he came to the Lord. Yes. Yeah. yeah well, Peter's uh, story. He's uh, born in Holland. Uh, he and his wife, Nettie, uh, they got married in Holland. They moved to Adelaide with their two young boys. And um, in the process of time, they got uh, spoken to. Now, Peter uh, was brought up to go to the Orthodox, uh, not Orthodox, Dutch... Reformed? Well, he, reformed Dutch Reformed. Yeah. Um, and he, he didn't buy it. He'd been in the, uh, in the army, the Dutch army, and he was pretty cynical about uh, religion. And uh, somebody witnessed to him, and he brought him along to a meeting, 
And he tells the story that I got up to preach this day and I said, uh, my opening line was, I don't believe that Adam was the first man. And that got his attention because he didn't believe, he couldn't see how that uh, as some fundamentalist uh, believers do that the earth is only 6,000 years old. And uh, so I explained how that in the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, the opening chapter talks about how that um, God created male and female and, uh, and so on. And, uh, and then in chapter 2, he talks about how that Adam was formed out of the dust of the ground. Now, some have assumed that this is talking about the same people. But our teaching is, and it made sense to me as well when I heard it... And that's how the scriptures that, uh, read. Yes, mm. that, uh, that there were people living there long before mm. Adam. And uh, so that got his interest, and so we were able to go on from there and to um, you know show the salvation message in the New Testament, how that you to repent and be baptised by full immersion, receive the Spirit and you'll speak in tongues. And that happened to him. And his wife uh, had had serious heart troubles and she got a healing from that. Anyway, they came along happily, brought a few other people themselves, uh, including uh, their boys. And uh, one of them is with them in Holland now and is actually a pastor in the work over there. Pastor Another ben. Benny, I think. Another yeah. Ben. Ben, yeah. Ben. yeah. <laughs> so... Um, they're pretty good, some of these bands. <laughs> and so um, uh, Peter and Nettie, after several years, decided to go back to Holland and visit some of their relatives, and they witnessed to them, and they brought some of them to the Lord, mm. including a nephew, uh, Harry, who um, like there was a brother and a sister-in-law and a couple of sisters and their husbands, and that uh, I think that was the story. And um, one of uh, the nephews, this Harry, was in the, in the Navy, the Dutch Navy. And he was um, a place called Den Helder, I think, which is up to the north of the country, which is a naval base. And he got in there and started talking to the, the guys there and a number of the Navy personnel came to the Lord and, and still going on to the Lord, some of them as well. So that started... Um, a, a revival there. So Peter and Nettie came back and they said, well, what are we going to do with these people? We can't just leave them over there. And uh, they uh, the head of another group that sounded a bit similar to us and uh, Peter checked that out and he said, no, it's, it's not the same. Mm. Uh, and it turned out to be a good thinking because they turned out to be worse than they looked on the surface. So uh, Peter and Nettie came back, sold up, and, um, and went back there and they virtually had nothing when they went over to Holland. And, um, you know, Peter's a very industrious sort of fellow. And that and would he, have been an easy thing because he had a business here as well, That's I right, think. Yeah. And, yeah. Yes. yeah, he was a boat builder yeah. down right. the port. Yeah. Yes. So they got back to, um, to, to Holland to um, uh, Dordrecht, which is uh, an island, um, an island in the middle of the, uh, the river there, which, whatever it's called mm -hmm. there. And near Rotterdam, just across the way from Rotterdam, which is one of the big cities in Europe, big, huge port there, the mouth of the, the Rhine. So they uh, uh, witnessed around there, and today they've got three centres in in Holland, and uh, and Peter is sort of supervising work in other places, Germany, Switzerland, 
uh, France, uh, uh, Hungary, uh, Czech Republic, um, and it's spreading out from there and so on, and also sort of assisting with the work across the Channel mm. in England. Mm. We've had a we've had a couple of people on the podcast. We had uh, Stefan Zuscher from, from Switzerland yeah. as well, and another Ben, and, and uh, another Ben, and we've had uh, Pastor Chris and Monica yeah, okay. uh, as well from Hungary. Oh, yeah, yes. so that was good fun too. So, <laughs> yeah. and what about in the UK? So did that come out of uh, Pastor Peter? No, there, or no, is that they, they were there before. There was um, a couple from Victoria that went over uh, to uh, uh, talk to... because the, they got married in, in Australia and they went back and, and the, the, the husband was from Liverpool and he spoke to uh, a fellow he know, knew by the name of Bob Jones um, and um, uh, he came to the Lord. And uh, so we had a little... And, and Bob became the pastor there and uh, he... Um, uh, he came to Australia because back in those days, we were in the Vogue by this time, and he came to visit us, and an interesting fellow, you know, amazing sense of humour some of these people have from Liverpool. And uh, I remember him telling the story when he came here about the um, the docker, as they call them, and they were... Uh, uh, the uh, This fellow was there on the wharf, and uh, he uh, had the RSPCA inspector tapped him on the shoulder and he said, uh, I've had a complaint against you. And he said, why is that? He said, you kicked that snail into the water. And uh, he, he said, so? He said, well, what have you got against snails? He said, well, nothing in general but this one in particular said, well, what has he done? He said, he's been following me around all day. <laughs> so that was fairly typical of, of Bob. I the, what the dockers were like. Too, <laughs> they didn't hurry about their work. Yeah. He was a so, warpy, in other words. Yeah. Yes. So, um, but anyway, Bob had a little group there and, um, uh, and it sort of it started from there. But as others went over, we had, we had a family that went from, uh, from Adelaide uh, to London uh, and started the um, North London Assembly yeah. and uh, our daughter and son-in-law uh, Chris and Christine they were not he wasn't a pastor at the time in fact they'd only been married about a year and they decided to, to move over there and help it mm. might have been a bit more than a year but anyway um, this this fellow came along and married our daughter and took her all the way over to England. <laughs> but we forgave him because when they came back seven years later, we had three grandchildren. <laughs> so uh, that was good. Oh, the English accent. And they have great-grandchildren too, right? Yes. Now, yeah. Yes. yeah. They lost Which, the English accents very quickly out here. Yes. yes. Yeah. Well, Chris and Chris were determined not to lose their Aussie accent, so... Uh, yeah. Yeah, so that was a big, a big thing in the in the English work, mm. and the, the North London Assembly is still going strong, mm. um, and uh, and Chris and Chris had you know quite a big impact on that as well for the seven years that they were there, but also um, from here uh, other places, uh, Cairns, uh, Neil Jenner went uh, from here to Cairns and started an assembly up there. Um, Jock, who's back here now, he'd been a pastor, he'd been my assistant for years, and uh, he went to uh, Christchurch, started an assembly there, which is still going. 
Um, we have, uh, in fact, we've got a few assemblies around uh, New Zealand and uh, most of the pastors are actually Aussies. Mm. Um, uh, Brian Smith in New Plymouth, he's the exception. He's a true Kiwi. Uh, but uh, Sasha, um, Pastor Laurie's son-in-law, he did actually come to the Lord in, uh, uh, in Christchurch, so he's a Kiwi as well. Uh, we had him here for a few years, but he's still, he's still barracks for the All Blacks, <laughs> whatever they are. <laughs> um, I think they play some funny sort of football, which is not our real not code here. Um, and, um, yeah, so and Laurie Nankerville was uh, running the assembly in, uh, in Tupuki and he's handed over to Alan Butler, who is very English, but he actually came to the Lord in Wyala. Wow. Yeah. Um, which is another interesting story. Wyla had a bit of a oh, bit of an amazing revival there for uh, for a while. Right. So you've got Pastor Laurie, Pastor Alan. I interviewed Pastor um, Michael uh, in Canberra and Liz, Michael, and he Michael came. Till. Yeah, yes, Michael yes. Till. He came to the Lord. Roland Rocky, Pastor yeah. Roland from from mm. Melbourne. Mm. Yes. Well, the story with Wyala, we tried several times to get a fellowship going there, being near to Adelaide and one of the bigger cities outside of Adelaide, not that they're all that big. Um, uh, we didn't seem to get anywhere much until Roland Rocky came to the Lord. He was actually at Rapid Bay, which is south of Adelaide, not far from our campsite. Mm, that's right. And he was working for BHP. And um, now oh, there was another brother, Ian uh, in Matthews and he was from New South Wales but he was uh, even though he was an accountant he was a hippie and uh, so he didn't want to do accounting he was picking grapes or something rather up in the Barossa Valley here in South Australia and there was a um, an outreach that we had uh, must have been in the late 70s I think and um, I was away and Pastor Jock led an outreach in the Barossa Valley and they were campaigning in the caravan park and around the place and uh, uh, they had some converts and there was uh, um, an interesting story of uh, this guy that was going to get baptised but he had a penny farthing which is an old fashioned push bike with a great big wheel at the front and so on. And so he led them around uh, to various places where he could get baptised. It was Anzac weekend, I think. And uh, <clears throat> they couldn't find a suitable place, including going into a farmer's property, which was a, a German farmer, a good Lutheran. And I think one of them worked there, but he knew, oh, I knew with this dam, so they went there, but the the Lutheran farmer booted them off because they'd been there without permission. But they had a convoy of cars following them everywhere. <clears throat> they eventually found a place down by the riverside in a waterhole there. And there was a couple there having a nice, quiet picnic. And all of these people turned up like ants at a picnic. <laughs> <clears throat> and they finished up baptising a couple of people. Uh, but uh, one of them was a guy called Tim Hutton who is still in our fellowship, and he's just married off all his three kids, happily married. Yeah. And, uh, and Tim um, had come down from New South Wales, and uh, after he came to the Lord, 
we were at our camp at Karakalinga and he decided to go and see Ian Matthews that he'd met up there as well. And Ian came to the Lord. And um, uh, their, his wife had just had their first child and, and uh, the baby was six days old. And we baptised them at Karakalinga Beach and Janet sat in their ute nursing their baby while they got baptised in the sea. Yeah. We brought them back to the... Uh, ablution block, the shower block, <laughs> uh, where uh, they both received the Holy Spirit. Now, Ian went back to Rapid Bay and he witnessed to Roland Rocky, right. who'd been brought up as a Catholic. And um, Good he, Italian. Good Italian. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. And uh, his wife was of German extraction, and but she was also a Catholic. And they both came to the Lord, and it's quite a story in itself. And uh, so... Shortly after this, BHP sold their uh, interests in Rapid Bay. And, um, uh, but because they were both, Ian and Roland, were employed by the BHP, I think Ian was just a gardener or something, but they were offered positions anywhere that they wanted to go in Australia with BHP. And to BHP's surprise, they both said, Wayala. Because, <laughs> because Roland had been witnessing to his family up there yeah. and they were coming to the Lord. Wow. So they moved up there and, um, and so at the time they didn't have a pastor, we were sending people up. And Laurie Nankerville, who was a school teacher, and he came to me and he said... Uh, I've been told that I have to do some country service. Would it help if I went to Wyala? I said, it surely would. Mm. So he'd been a house leader here. So he became the pastor in, in Wyala. So he's another one of these hippie converts too. Oh, wasn't yes. <laughs> oh, yes. That's another story. <laughs> but he had been... Um, I don't know whether we're stealing his thunder. Have you got his? No, story? I haven't yet. But no, we can, we okay, can talk about anyway, it when I'll he's give not you here. My version. <laughs> it might vary, but um, he um, he was a school teacher and he worked down at Taparoo, and uh, he was a progressive uh, type of school teacher in his mind. But I don't know whether the department were all that thrilled with him, but he had a Volkswagen and he'd had it. As the kids had painted it, and uh, whatever they like. And he'd written on it as well, Jimi Hendrix, that's all there is. And <clears throat> so he pulled up in his Volkswagen at the lights and one of our young fellows was riding a push bike came up and he poked his head in the window and he said, so you think Jimi Hendrix is pretty good, do you? He said, yeah, I do. He said, have you ever tried Jesus Christ? And Laurie said, I want to talk to you. I'm not sure about you, but I'm really enjoying listening to these wonderful stories from Pastor John and Janet, even though I was there in 2018 when we originally recorded the interviews. If you're enjoying them as well, then share it with somebody or make a comment or rate us on your favourite podcast app so that others can come to know what God is doing in people's lives today. Until next time, God bless. God bless.